0: It has been worse than hell. It has been a fight for existence all the way. But we are getting out of the woods now, and things will go better. Colonel George Rickards, Commander, 112th Infantry Regiment, 28th Division, American Expeditionary Force, Argonne Forest, September 29th, 1918. Hey folks welcome to the Battles of the First World War podcast episode 57 Murs Argonne, the Keystone, the Shorn Oak and the Air Valley let's uh, let's kick it off with a couple of admin notes if you follow the BFWwP on social media you'll likely have seen my posts about correcting the silly error I made last episode about Billy Mitchell and his commanding of the OSS during World War II. Okay, Billy Mitchell did not, did not command the OSS during World War II. In fact, by the time the second go-around began, Mitchell had already shuffled off this mortal coil. Now, over in 1st Battalion, 165th Infantry, 42nd Rainbow Division, a Lieutenant Colonel Billy Donovan was leading soldiers, and he would eventually lead the Office of Strategic Services during the Second World War. For those of you who don't do social media, sorry for the error. Okay, other admin note. The Patreon pitch. Are you enjoying the podcast and asking yourself, self, how could I support this podcast? Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you are asking that question, then Patreon is the answer. As patrons on Patreon, you will have early access to all new episodes, as well as transcripts and bibliographies for those episodes. Patrons also have other perks, such as submitting a question That I will research and answer to the best of my ability. You will also have the possibility of naming a battle you'd like to hear covered on the show. If this sounds interesting to you, check us out on patreon.com Backslash Battles of the First World War Podcast. Patronage of the BFWWP can begin with as little as $1 per episode. And it is all greatly appreciated. All right, admin notes complete. Back to the front. Last episode, we left the 77th Division at the end of September 1918, where, as the far left flank of the American First Army, it had slogged its way through the Argonne Forest to relieve the surrounded battalion commanded. by Major Charles Whittlesey. This episode, we're shifting to the right, where the 28th Pennsylvanian Keystone Division was both pushing through the eastern third of the Argonne and also pushing north, up the river air valley east of that forest. The grind through the Argonne was to fix the Germans there in place, while the half of the division going up the air valley was working to outflank the forest itself and cut it off. To recap, on the offensive's first day, on the 26th of September, the 28th Division made uneven progress with the 112th Infantry Regiment gaining a mile's worth of ground in the forest while the 110th and 109th Infantry Regiments to the east advanced some three miles up the valley. On the 27th of September, the division received orders to continue attacking. Its first day objective of cutting off the Argonne Forest had not yet been met. The day opened with rain and heavy mists. In the forest itself, the exhausted doughboys of the 112th got up from their wet shell holes and captured trenches and pushed off after the morning barrage lifted further north. The battalions of the 112th were advancing northeast, and it was only minutes before German machine guns began cutting down swaths of doughboys in the trees. A Corporal Harold Pierce recorded his time there in his diary. His experiences come to us from Dr. Ed Langle's book, To Conquer Hell, the Meuse-Argonne, 1918, which, if you haven't bought a copy of yet, you really should. Pierce wrote, we walk forward, always, on the lookout for holes and depressions to drop into. At every stop, we lie down. The air is filled with rushing, snapping, cracking sounds, sometimes close and sometimes far away as the Bosch fire blindly into the fog, hoping by luck to get someone. Ricochet bullets scream horribly when deflected by a twig. Dimly through the fog, we can see the files and combat groups moving slowly. When they move, we move, and when they halt... We halt. Suddenly, a crackle of bullets, and in front a man screams, then flops into the bushes, his throat gurgling, moaning, kicking, thrashing around. His kicks gradually cease. A long sigh, and it is all over. It was the bugler from F Company, and he got it through the neck. I lie down on my face and shiver and cover my head with a blanket I found this morning to keep out the sound. Corporal Pierce and the rest of the 112th Infantry advanced about a half-mile forward before the Germans put up an insurmountable wall of machine-gun fire. The surviving doughboys pulled back to their start line, erasing any hard-won gains made that day. East of the Argonne in the Air Valley, the men of the 110th Infantry pushed out from Varennes and made their way north to a hamlet named Montblomvieux. The tiny community's location made it an important military objective twice over. It was at the center of an east-west and north-south crossroads, and it was the junction point for the German 3rd and German 5th armies operating opposite the oncoming Americans. Mont was to be taken and a front line established north of it. The 110th would then wait as the 77th Division on the left and the 35th Division came up, online with them. First attack went in at 6 a.m. in the rain and fog. The Americans of the 110th Infantry ran over open fields, and the weather shielded them in part from German eyes. There were no units to their left or right. There was a deep gully south of the hamlet that held up tanks supporting the infantry. Enemy machine gun bullets cut through the fog, the fire becoming heavier and heavier. Closer the Americans got to the settlement, the Americans went in in waves, and heavy fighting broke out in Montblancville itself. By 10:30 in the morning, the Germans had been cleared out and pushed north several hundred meters, where the Doughboys dug in. The Germans retaliated within the hour, and they attacked the Doughboys' open flanks. The Americans held them off, and a second German attack came at three p.m. that afternoon. Germans attacking were members of the Prussian 3rd and 5th Guards. Captain John Dunkel of the 110th ordered several knowledgeable NCOs he knew he had to take some captured German Maxim machine guns and use them on their former owners. The Germans began going down in droves as their own bullets tore into them. As the enemy advanced closer and closer, the American troops reached their artillery by telephone and called in fire. The incoming rounds that plowed into the incoming Germans slowed their attack, leaving Feldgrau corpses covering the fields. Nevertheless, a Leutnant Humpert of the Prussian 3rd Guards Grenadiers managed to get himself and his machine gun company behind the Americans in Montplonville and cut them off. They now opened fire on the hamlet from behind. And then, Seven American crewed tanks rolled up the road, and not a moment too soon. German artillery sighted on them immediately, and two tanks were blown apart with direct hits. Three others took hits and became immobilized. The remaining two tanks clanked and creaked right over Leuchten Humpert's platoon, strafing their positions with fire and clearing them out. Disorganized by the American response of artillery, stiff resistance, and the tanks, the remaining Prussians pulled back in the heavy rain. Montblonville belonged to the Americans now. The next morning, the surviving soldiers of the 112th Infantry advanced over open ground east of the Argonne towards Le a ragged-edged ridgeline that ran from inside the forest and halfway out into the air valley. Le means the shorn oak in French. The Chantondu dominated the ground south of it, so for the Germans it was imperative to keep their hands on it. First attack went in early in the morning, with Corporal Harold Pierce in that line. Coming out of a ravine south of Montplanville for a better angle, Pierce and the men of his battalion crossed a road and on into an open field. Enemy shells fell in a dispersed, almost lazy manner amongst Pierce and his buddies. Getting closer to the Argonne, German machine gun teams waiting in the woods and a stand of trees up ahead let the Americans get within their desired range before they suddenly cut into them with streams of bullets. The men around Pierce were slaughtered. He himself dropped to the ground and started digging, digging, digging for all he was worth. There was nowhere else he could go as the Germans had every inch of the field under observation. Quote, I lie on my side and start the hole. Bullets crackle a few feet overhead. I can hear the crackling coming closer, and I push myself as low in the ground as possible. The crackling misses my head by a few inches and passes on. I dig furiously, a few shovels full in front of me. The crackling returns towards me, dust flies in a line coming at me. The bullets are over my head again, snapping viciously. They are over, and I am digging again, quote. Pierce continued digging in under intermittent fire until he had himself a hole where he was out of sight of the Germans up ahead. He and the ever fewer survivors around him lay there for hours until other doughboys ran into the field and began mounting machine guns on their tripods, Behind Pierce and the open fields he lay in, other doughboys set up 37mm Puteau guns. The Germans opened fire on the field again. This time, the Americans sent back a storm of fire as well, with the hammering of machine guns and the thud of the 37mm 1-pounders. Somewhere to the rear, a battery of American-crewed 75mm guns fired into the woods. Then Pierce recorded, quote, Another note in the orchestra, the clank of tanks, the sweetest, softest music of all, quote. The 75s pounded the woods until German fire slackened, and then the tanks rolled on into the woods. Around 4 p.m., a machine gun barrage rained bullets on the known German positions on Le chenton when that lifted, the doughboys of the 112th rose from the field and followed the tank tracks into the edge of the Argon. The slope became steeper, and the men continued past the tanks and up to the crest. Around 6 p.m., the doughboys reached the sunken road that ran along the top of the ridge, where dozens of Germans surrendered with shaking hands and nervous mumbles of their native tongue. These were older men, reservists, with no stomach for the fight as younger men would have. Le Chantondu was taken, although half of Corporal Pierce's battalion lay dead in the field below. The 112th Infantry secured the ridgeline after a 2-kilometer push forward. To their left, the 111th continued to grind through the Argonne. On their right, the 109th Infantry fell behind when it had to fight back enemy counterattacks. The Germans were quickly reorganizing themselves, and now every meter of ground was being contested. On the very right of the 28th Division's front, the 110th set its sights on the village of Apremont. Less than four kilometers north of Mont Blancville, Apremont sits on steep high ground with commanding views of the Meuse Valley. Apremont's value lay in its position and the fact that from it ran one of the few roads into the Argonne, all the way to Binarville on the other side. North of Apremont lay the village of Châtel-Cherry, and near it were two hills, 244 and 223, where the Germans maintained numerous artillery batteries. After an hour's worth of artillery pounding the village, the doughboys of the 3rd Battalion one hundred tenth infantry attacked from a riverbed. The Germans were waiting for them and cut the attack to pieces. The Americans regrouped and launched a second attack from the south over open ground. Tanks supported them this time, and the Americans who made it across the murderous fire that swept the fields broke into the ruins of the village. Close quarter of combat in the streets followed. The young Americans fought recklessly and without cease, and their pressure overwhelmed the German enemy. The Germans broke and retreated, and the Doughboys chased them 500 meters north of the village before digging in there. Going was rough for the 28th Division. German resistance was becoming harder and harder, but the advance was continuing. More ground had been taken that day, and progress would hopefully continue it wouldn't. On the American side, the commander of the 55th Brigade, 28th Division, the unit into which the 109th and 110th infantry regiments belong, was fired for not reacting fast enough to an order to conduct a night attack on Apremont. Brigadier General Thomas Dara was sacked under AEF, Commander General Pershing's edict that any officer found to not be aggressively carrying out his orders was to be removed immediately. As author and retired Army Colonel Douglas Mastriano argues in his book, Thunder in the Argonne, Pershing was micromanaging his divisions and his officers. The effect was to throw a wrench in the First Army's gears Upsetting what staggering forward movement there was. Case in point Brigadier General Darrow was replaced by Brigadier General Dennis Nolan, Pershing's own G2 intelligence chief. Like any good leader stepping into ongoing operations, before he started giving orders, General Nolan wanted all of the information he could gather on the brigade he had just taken over. Nolan called off the American attack north of Apremont, set for the morning of the 29th of September. He also had the outposts on the front line pulled back to the village itself. Nolan's decisions had the additional effect of slowing operations at Apremont, giving the Germans time to regroup, reorganize, and hit back with a vengeance. And they did. Machin Tondu and Apremont were far too valuable to be given up so quickly. Les came under murderous artillery fire to an extent that the 1st and 3rd Battalions of the 112th Infantry had to be pulled from the mud-choked, sunken road on the crest. The soaked doughboys pulled back to the southern slopes of the ridge, and the 3rd Battalion tried to skirt the ridgeline to the east. They were stopped by German machine-gun fire, Going back up the ridge, they were met by heavy German fire and counterattacks. On the western end of the ridge, the 2nd Battalion 112th Infantry stuck out the bombardments. Casualties were heavy, and elements of the 111th Infantry came up to support the beleaguered 112th. At Apremont, the Germans inched closer and closer to the ruined village. They rained artillery on and around the village for two hours early in the morning. Men of the 120th Württemberg Regiment and the 125th Württemberg Landwehr Regiment then came at the Pennsylvania troops from the west and the northwest, right out of the Argonne. They were slaughtered. And then the men of the 28th Division counterattacked to dislodge any German gains. They, too, were cut down. Fighting got so close it became hand-to-hand in some places. American tanks striving to assist the infantrymen were blown to pieces by German 77mm guns. Back and forth it went throughout the day. To the right, in the 35th Division sector, a soldier named Joe Rizzi was in his own version of hell. He did, however, take a look over to the west towards the battle raging in Apremont. His reminiscences are also taken from Dr. Langell's book, To Conquer Hell. Shells were falling, dust flying, and fire breaking out in several sections of the town. Its grimness seemed to impart, Now that you fools have left me a mere skeleton, what in hell more do you want of me? I am not worth having. During these battles, an American lieutenant named Meyer Jacobs had his men pull his 37mm cannon back towards Aprimont and establish a new position there. In the confusion of combat, Platoon Sergeant Andrew Lynch and the men got away, but Jacobs was captured by the enemy. Once inside Apremont, Sergeant Lynch discovered that Lieutenant Jacobs had been taken prisoner. Enraged with the heat of a thousand suns, Sergeant Lynch took Corporal Robert Jeffrey, five other men, and headed out for where they had just come from outside the village. The enemy had not had enough time to move their prisoners too far back. Sergeant Lynch saw his lieutenant among a group of three dozen German soldiers. It was on. Lynch and the other six men slammed into the enemy group with weapons blazing. Some 15 of the enemy were shot down and Lieutenant Jacobs was freed. After running like hell to a position south of the village, Sergeant Lynch found a leaderless group of Pennsylvania doughboys. Lynch, like all good NCOs, promptly took charge of them and led a counterattack against the enemy. After dusk that evening, the Germans threw another three battalions' worth of infantry at Apremont, seeking to turn the tide they stormed up the steep hillside from the air valley and crashed like a tidal wave into the ruins. Now, in the darkness, the fighting became wild as men shot at shapes in the failing light. Gun and grenade flashes lit the streets, illuminating men just long enough for them to be sprayed with machine gun bullets. Bodies lay everywhere, some writhing, and others stock still. Towards 8 p.m., the Germans had gained control of most of Apremont. Brigadier General Nolan, new to the brigade but with an emergency on his hands, now ordered the night attack for which Brigadier General Dara had been relieved. He made his way to the front to personally oversee this new attack. The Germans could not be given the chance to dig in and consolidate. The attack was launched and Captain Charles McLean led a part of it. Having taken command of another company's worth of leaderless troops, McLean rallied them and took them straight into Apremont. They violently cleared the ruined buildings and streets, and the shock of their night attack knocked the Germans right out of the village. With Apremont secured yet again, General Nolan had the survivors dig in machine gun nest strongpoints immediately. In addition, four guns of the 109th Field Artillery were pulled right up to the ruins the next German attack would be blasted with these big boys. They would need to do some heavy lifting, as the 110th Infantry was by now a shell of its former self. General Nolan's leadership was needed. On the morning of the 1st of October, the Germans plastered Apremont with shells before launching thousands of infantrymen from the north, When the enemy bombardment lifted, Nolan ran out. Quote, "'We saw him going from shell hole to shell hole, "'never bending his head,' unquote, "'an officer later recalled, "'and had his men hold their fire "'until the enemy was just 25 yards away. "'At that point, he cut them loose, "'and the combined storm of rifle, machine gun, "'and 75-millimeter gunfire "'slaughtered the poor, bloody German infantry.'" before the American-held village. As the German attack faltered, Nolan unleashed Renault tanks from both flanks. These now came at the Germans, cutting more of them down with machine guns and running down those who couldn't get away. The Germans sealed the attack's grim fate by landing a brutal barrage on their own men. Those few that could melted away to the north, leaving over a thousand more bodies around Apremont. At Le Chentendu, another brutal back-and-forth continued unabated. With the American withdrawal on the 29th of September, the Germans had reclaimed part of the ridgeline. The doughboys of the 111th and the 112th attacked up the steep slopes repeatedly, and each time the Germans, in their cleverly positioned rear-slope trenches, mowed them down. One company of the 111th Infantry saw its ranks ripped apart by the fighting. In three days, 240 men became just 100 hollow-eyed and gaunt survivors. Despite continuous combat that raged into the first days of October, Les Chentendu remained unconquered as of the 4th of October 1918. By that fourth day of October 1918, the 28th Keystone Division had now been in combat for the past nine days, and it had been thoroughly mauled. It wouldn't be able to take much more before it had to be relieved. For now, though, the Pennsylvanians remained in the line. To their right, the 35th Missouri Kansas Division had not been able to take the strain of brutal combat faced by the American expeditionary force in the Meuse-Argonne. The result was a potential disaster that came close to undoing the precious and hard-won gains made by the AEF First Army in the first days of the offensive. That, of course, will be the subject of the next episode. All right. Questions? Comments? Concerns? Please, don't hesitate to contact me at podcast at gmail.com or get at me on the Twitter at, at www1podcast check out the battles of the first world war podcast page on the Facebook and definitely check out the website firstworldwarpodcast.com ok thank you so much for listening talk to you again soon take care